everybody and welcome to a new series of Bodywood, the show where we talk about movies with the people who make movies, except not in this episode as you're going to find out in a little bit, but we're back and with me as always is my amazing co-host. <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry, that just really tickled me. I, I love the fact that we say we're back with a new series. How many new series have we had just to cover up the fact that we missed a week? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> In this case, we missed two months. Uh, yes, hello. <laughs> Andrew Roger Carson here. I'm back from New York. I have been back from New York for two months, but we just haven't gotten around to doing any episodes. One, because I've been exceptionally busy with shooting and yeah. uh, shooting up and <laughs> getting a detail, going on holiday, uh, a family holiday, and uh, just trying to get some certain projects ready and moved along. So, unfortunately... Partywood suffered for it. I do apologise, dear listener. But we're yes. back now. You know, we're the boys in the wood. We're back. You know, we're we're like a McDonald's McPlant burger the night after a night on gin and tonic. No, it's not good, but you're gonna runs with it. <laughs> that sounds very, very specific, and as if you have first-hand knowledge of it. I wouldn't say first-hand. <laughs> that's not the body part that springs to mind when I think about having a, a night of uh, what was it? It was lemon sherbet gin. Really? It's really nice. And then I made the fake mistake because I'm dieting because I'm I'm trying to lose as much weight as possible. So I decided I'm going to be good. And if we are going to order for McDonald's, I'm going to have a McPlant and. My body just does not like a McPlant burger. Right, everybody hold on. We will get on to talking about movies in a second. I just want to know more about this. So hold on. You were out and you decided that you were going to be healthy by ordering a McPlant. No, this was this was the next morning. Okay, so I wasn't out. I was at home because right. I drink responsibly because if I'm drinking out, then I'll probably never make it home. So... I basically just decided, oh, you know, I kind of like gin and tonic. When I was away in Spain, I was drinking gin and tonic because someone told me it will keep mosquitoes away because they don't like it. So, I, unknowingly to me, I spent the entire week in Mallorca pissed out of my face on gin and tonic <laughs> every evening. Um, so, I thought, you know, I'm going to try this lemon sherbet stuff because it appealed to me. I like lemon sherbet, so give it a go. How bad can it be? You want and... some lemon sherbet? <laughs> oh, that's going to be so, so ironic in a little while. But um, that was lovely. And I woke up the next morning and I'm like, oh, I just need some trash to eat. I don't want to eat McDonald's. I want to stay on this healthy binge I'm having. And I've got the McPlant, which is, uh, I don't know what it is apart from when you're eating it, you already feel this is not going to be good for you. Right. And lo and behold, only a few short hours later, um, it's not good for you at all. Unless you're trying to lose weight. Right. Okay. Okay. So what people have found out on this podcast that is supposed to be about movies is if you mix lemon sherbet gin with a McPlant that you usually end up with some kind of explosive bottom. They're not the perfect uh, buddy-buddy romance. But speaking of buddy-buddy romances, Steve, I think we've got to get back to uh, what's in the box from our last episode. That, 
That segue was killer. Five minutes it took us to get to this. <laughs> I I perfectly, I scripted the entire thing all the way from the beginning. I knew where I was going with it. You know, it was going straight over the cliff. And speaking of straight over the cliff, oh. let's talk about. Um, it was watching the books from two months ago, yes. live from Connecticut. Well, semi-live from Connecticut. In other words, we ballsed up the live and just recorded yeah, it and we shot did. it out. We did. We we will actually try and get a proper live stream going at some point in the future. Um, but uh, at the moment, no, for some reason, we just we just couldn't manage it. Uh, but yes, Thelma and Louise, 1991. It is a Ridley Scott joint back in the time when Ridley Scott was actually pumping out some really, really good stuff. The movie follows uh, Thelma and Louise, a titular couple played by Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. And the two of them go on a fishing holiday and they end up getting into some trouble, which results in Louise killing a man. And then the two of them going on the run from the cops and ultimately spiraling further and further downwards into a life of crime before and we all know that this has happened because it's been parodied in pretty much everything from the simpsons wayne's will 2 grand theft auto 5 even has a little reference to it to the very end it does there is there is a point where if you go to the mountain at a certain point of day you can see a police car surrounded by cops and then the car drives off the cliff oh yes i've I've I find it only just got round to playing and completing that, and I never saw that bit. Yeah, it's one of those things that you have to hunt for. Um, But yes, you've got a really good cast in this. It's really well directed. Um, And you've got some wonderful little cameos in there from uh, Mr. Mr. Blonde, Michael Madsen. And Mr. White. Mr. White as well. So this this was a year, I think, before Tarantino's movie. So, I think Tarantino may have hired every single person apart from Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis from this movie. I think so. He probably took one look at Cutthroat Island and just went, no, no, maybe not. I, I don't like feet that bad. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you've also got uh, Christopher McDonald shooting McGavin. Oh, um, uh, how awesome in this movie. He's brilliant. He he's brilliant. steals the entire thing. You know, the strangest thing is him and Gina Davis were actually previously engaged years before this movie. That must have been weird when it actually came to shoot it. Well, apparently, um, Christopher McDonald said it was one of the most uh, cathartic things. You know, it was just, it was really kind of a kind of a bringing them both kind of together in a yeah. friendship kind of way because Gina was just splitting up with Jeff Goldblum at the time. Yeah, let's blame Brad. Yeah, who I think it was like his first proper big role in anything. Really, I know he'd done like loads of bit parts and here and there, but I think this was the first time he was properly kind of in a really featured role. Oh yes, I, I always say to people, try and spot him as the waiter in the Charlie Sheen movie No Man's Land. Yeah, blink uh, and you'll miss it. Now, I'm I'm not going to go into the actual thing of victim shaming here because uh, it is one of those things that. You, that you have to be very, very delicate with. So I'm not looking at real-world examples of what happens when uh, a woman is attacked or uh, sexually raped, uh, sexually abused. I'm not looking at that. I, I'm When I'm talking about this in the future, I'm talking about solely within the scope of this movie, okay? Um, in the time frame that it was made? Or, or... No, the, the, within the actual story of the film oh, okay. that okay. we have right here. I'm talking about just this. Um, there is a point where um, the two of them are having an argument later on 
and Thelma, who's uh, played by Gina Davis, she says, oh, you think that this is all my fault. And if you actually look at the, the series of events kind of leading up to this, it pretty much is. Yes. Because yeah. uh, she's the one that takes the gun. She's the one that wants to go to a bar, even though she's warned not to. She's the one that starts to get drunk, even though she's warned not to. She's the one that ignores not only Louise's advice. to but not, the barmaid as well. But the barmaid as well. Even even if you could put that up to kind of innocence, there there is a certain... In all fairness, she was incredibly over-flirtatious with him as well. Incredibly so. So, um, so yes, like I said, I'm not victim-shaming yes. in real life. <laughs> not in real life. I'm just looking at the film. Um, but then pretty much everything else that happens within the scope of the movie, it's Thelma that brings the trouble <laughs> on them. She just keeps trying to draw the heat. She seems to have no sense of self-preservation. Uh, hmm. So first she stops at the bar, and then everything you know happens with uh, with Harlan. I think his name was. Yes. Um, she got caught up in a murder, and the first thing that she does is just want to sleep, as opposed to talk and try and sort things out. She goes sunbathing while her friend <sighs> try and sorts out the situation, completely oblivious to what's going on yet again. She then brings a complete stranger. Into the into the whole situation just because she finds him cute. She leaves him alone in a room with the money that they've been talking about <laughs> after he's admitted that he has been a criminal and a robber. She yes. then is the one who makes the decision to go and starts robbing the liquor stores. And, and, and she is the one who also locks the cop in the trunk. Yeah. It, it's like just... A complete series of you have no kind of concept of what would happen in any given situation. So, are we saying though that Susan Sarandon is more the victim here? She's definitely the one with her head screwed on more. Yeah, but everything that kind of happens affects her, and she ends up. Spoiler alert: they drive spoiler off the cliff at yeah. the end of the movie. I, I think she's just had enough, and it's like I have to kill this bitch. She's <laughs> completely ruined my life. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What's next? She does have a mysterious backstory which involves somewhere in Texas, which we don't yes. know about. We never find out about that. Well, we all know about Texas law, yeah, especially so. when it comes to women, and we're not getting into that one because that's a completely different podcast that yeah. you can get into. Take your pick, you know. Um, so, okay, well, did you enjoy the movie? I, I did. I thought it was well performed. I did pause it, though, and thought, oh, okay, I kind of need to go for a pee. I'll pause it. Oh, it's probably about three quarters. No, I've still got an hour left. Oh, shit. Um, there is but, a point where it feels like this feels like it's been going an hour and a half and it's it only really going like 50 minutes. It really does. Yeah. Um, but that's that's Ridley, though. His movies, you can probably name on one hand the movies Ridley Scott has done that has been under two hours long. Yeah, they, they're never short, ever. No. Um, but the, the only thing that I will take away from this as well is... There is this constant thread throughout the whole movie that men are assholes. Yeah. There is only they one are. kind of redeemable character, male character throughout the whole movie, and that's probably Harvey Keitel's police uh, detective. Because everyone else is either abusive, they're a rapist, they're a criminal, they're a sex pervert, they're misogynistic, they're dumb, they're aggressive. And in, there doesn't seem to be any kind of positivity towards men folk. It's like, no, if you're a man, 
you're stupid, you're violent, and you're and we hate you. Mm. I know. That's yeah. No, I, you know, it's it's very easy to kind of pick up on that. I mean, I mean, this film was a hit. Yeah, it uh, was. but I I do have some questions for you on it though. Okay, one, is it a downbeat ending or not? I don't know. It does seem to be an ending that doesn't. It it kind of comes out of nowhere. It does. It, yeah. But would you class that as a real downer of an ending, or is it kind of happy in the circumstances of the script? I don't know. It it almost it it feels like it's an ending that belongs to a darker film. It probably was written as a yeah. darker film. I know there was. I think uh, MGM was the studio, and I think they did want. Uh, I think there was a couple of different scenarios for the end. One of them was that Louise pushes Gina out of the car before it goes over. And that would have fit perfectly with the story. <laughs> get out. You're not following me to hell. Yeah. Um, and one of them was, oh, you know, they get, either go to prison or, or something like that. But, you know, they, they stuck to their guns and um, presented that. And it's an iconic ending. You know, it's been ripped off in everything. So a little bit of trivia here. Uh, do you know that still to this day, this is the most recent film where both female leads have been nominated for Best Actress? Ooh, now that yeah. needs, that does need to be addressed. It does. Uh, previous um, what, previous instances where that has happened has been All About Eve, which is an amazing movie, really is. Uh, last summer in the fifties, I believe that was, and Terms of Endearment in the eighties, okay. and it was uh, Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger. Apologies if I didn't know all the actresses' names. I just that just came out the top of my head. But yes, this was the most recent film where both female leads have been nominated for Best Actress at the same time. And they lost to Jodie Foster for The Sounds of the Lambs. And that's not all, because Sounds of the Lambs pretty much scooped every bloody Oscar that year. The only one they didn't take was Best Adapted Screenplay, which this film won. Okay. Yes. Um, I've got nothing to add to that, really. Okay, carry on. Um... Have you seen the trailer for this movie? I haven't, no. The trailer completely misinterprets this movie and makes it look like a comedy. <laughs> Won't be the first time. No, this is more like a, a fried green tomato style comedy that this thing was marketed like. I remember seeing it and thought, oh, you know, it's like a funny you know, road movie type thing. And then I actually saw the movie. I was like, whoa, this got dark really quick. Yeah, because that, that's happened to me a number of times. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I have seen movies where I've thought, oh yeah, this is going to be really funny, and then sat down and thought, oh, oh, I want to slit my wrists. Yes. Uh, And another bit of trivia here, and and this is something that we really have to talk about. Um, I cannot bring up Thelma and Louise without mentioning the fact that this movie was almost sued by the makers of the movie Assault of the Killer Bimbos. Oh, Jesus Christ. Who were trying to sue this for plagiarism, because Assault of the Killer Bimbos had the same plot, apparently. And the only reason they did actually back out of the lawsuit was because it was going to cost them too much money. <laughs> I've not seen Attack of the Killer Bimbos, but I guess I've seen Thelma and Louise. <laughs> I guess I don't need to see it now. Okay, yeah, you know, it, 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 might, uh, it might appear at some point in this show, and then maybe we can compare the two. Yeah, yeah, that might, that might show up on our new hot topic of uh, what's in the box from hell. Yes. So, 
Uh, Thelma and Louise, would you recommend? Yes. A uh, bit long. And, you know, if you can get past the whole one character pretty much bringing down the entire country's worth of heat on a through <laughs> through her own actions, um, then, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, worth, it's worth a watch. That's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Okay, well, of course, we, we've missed out on two months' worth of anniversaries, but uh, we're not going to do that. We are actually going to bring you some very interesting anniversaries. Watch them again all of the time, or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. If it ain't broke, eh? <laughs> how long have we been saying that we're going to get a new theme tune for this segment of the show? Neil, come on, man. We, we need a new theme. Help us out, please, Neil. Ah. Uh... Anyway, um, so we've got, we got a couple here. This one I was actually going to do on our first video episode, but because we were so limited on time, uh, I fit Scooby-Doo in and didn't fit this one in. So I really wanted to include this one because it is important, and I know you've seen it. Can you believe, Steve, that way back in 1987, however many years that was, what, 35? Yeah, uh, 35 years ago. Pass. RoboCop was released. Mm. Oh, we've got stuff to talk about with RoboCop. Yes, you could not make this movie nowadays. <laughs> oh hell! Well, no, they tried, um, and it was PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those movies that one is definitely of the eighties, and a lot of the humor and a lot of the way that the world is designed fitted around the excessive consumerist nature that was happening in America in the 80s. It was the case of, um, you need to be fit, you need to have this product, you need to have that product. And it's the exact kind of world that we're still in, but it was so much more blatant and in your face back in the day. Yeah, it, was, it was Reaganomics. Yep. You say? Yeah, it was, it was Reaganomics. the Reagan era. For people, younger listeners, if we have any, um, you might not know of the Ronald Reagan era. It was... Uh, it's it's worth looking into, but you can practically see it in movies like this that really hammered home that kind of message. Um, Robocop's one of my favourites, I've got to admit. And it's not simply because Ed Neumeyer, who wrote it, hmm. uh, is a good friend of mine. Um, and, and what a guy he is. But this movie is just... It, it reminds me of that childhood of seeing a movie that I was not legally allowed to see it was proper forbidden fruit wasn't it oh yeah but my parents were just like if you want to see it there it is i'm yeah. like yeah i'm gonna sit and watch this and then completely shocked <laughs> i watched I, st I started watching it about a year ago and I, I was sat down and i was having a look through my 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 dvds and everything and just saw it and thought like, you know i've not seen that movie in ages i put it on and it got to the bit at the beginning where Ed 209 just unloads on that guy. And oh. it's shocking how violent that scene is and how um, uh, Paul Verhoeven just lingers on it for so long. <laughs> just this guy just getting shredded to absolute pieces. And it was. And the, the weird the thing is, though. The version is it, longer. Yeah. I think, I think it was the uncut version I was watching. And I was thinking, they're thinking. I don't remember my stomach turning 
as much to this as it did when I was younger. When I was younger, it was kind of invincible to it, but now it was like, oh, this is it's getting a bit queasy. Yeah, exactly. We've been desensitized nowadays. I mean, these were practical effects back in the day. Nowadays, it's all blood squibs and you know, yeah. computer blood and stuff like that. Well, I mentioned that to you when we were discussing Prey recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when we were talking about that. That was my takeaway from that. I thought it was a really good film, but you compare the, the use of digital squibs in that to the practical ones that they had in the original and in RoboCop. And it's it's a whole new, whole different world. It doesn't anywhere near as good these days. What absolutely saves that scene is the following line, will somebody please call a damn paramedic? <laughs> that, I the, still laugh at that to this day. The guy's basically hamburger. <laughs> that yeah. Uh, I put RoboCop on Paul Verhoeven's Mount Rushmore. I know I always say that Mount Rushmore for where directors can have four of their greatest mm. movies. I will put Robocop up there. And for Verhoeven, I would actually put um, his more foreign epics like uh, Black Book, L, and controversially, and I'm going to get Don't hate mail for this. <laughs> no, I'd forgotten he did that. But <laughs> he's probably forgotten. Uh, I'm actually going to put Hollow Man up there. Okay, no Total Recall. No, strangely enough, I'm not going to mm. put Total Recall up there. Um and I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for that, and they'll probably say, oh, come on, Starship Troopers is better than Hollow Man. No, I actually prefer Hollow Man because of, I'd seen stuff in that movie I'd never seen before. Mm. Um, and I love the old Invisible Man black and white movies, and I thought yeah. that was the closest you can get until Blumhouse did the one just recently, which was just spectacular. Um, in doing research for Robocop and one I watched it again the uncut version and it's so grotesque it's beautiful mm. There's the moment that guy gets run over the toxic waste dude oh, oh gosh yeah it's like that was the one scene when I was a kid where I was like oh my god that's just it's nasty bonkers. isn't it nasty um but there was some interesting facts that I got from the audio commentaries from stuff that Ed told me and um I thought, okay, I've got to compile this to get some of the juiciest bits for our listeners. Okay, right. In that case, you you talk away. Okay. Uh, there's a fantastic story I heard here um, about when Robocop was in the theatres. Uh, there was a robbery. And the robbery suspect to avoid the police fled into a movie theatre that was showing Robocop. I've heard now, this one. The best part about this story is he was there hiding from the police but got so engrossed in the movie he didn't realise that the theatre was being cleared out by the police behind him and then the police actually caught him while watching the movie. Uh, that That's just genius. Uh, I love yeah. that story. Yeah, you can imagine him there going, oh, yeah, yeah, you'll arrest me. Can, can you give me just like 10, 15 minutes just to see how this ends? Yeah. Uh. Well, following uh, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the 8th Dimension... This was Peter Weller's, I guess, first big high-profile lead. Yeah, and he hated that suit. He was losing three pounds a day in that suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's that's a lot when you consider. It. He must have been sweating it out. They didn't have the vents that they incorporated into the suit for Robocop Two, so you know it was very kind of independently made in a way it wasn't a big studio picture even though orion basically i'm not sure if they picked it up or they were behind it from the beginning uh but this script for robocop 
was rejected by nearly every single big director in Hollywood. Every one of them. And we can thank God that Paul Verhoeven's wife at the time actually picked it out of the trash can and told him to actually read it. So I think he obviously saw the title of Robocop and just said, well, what is this shit? So Where, he's Van Damme. He you didn't know it. <laughs> Everyone's just Van Damme this week. Yeah, I, I do not like this shitty Robocop title. What is this? Yeah, but I don't he, even know he if he's German it. to be no, he he read it, so he's Dutch. Oh, is she Dutch? Okay, that that makes yeah. it a hell of a difference, yes. <laughs> By way of yes. Jewish Dutch, Jewish Dutch, I love it. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, his wife got him to read it, and then he uh, he took it down. Now, do you know what scene in Robocop took the most time to shoot? Oh, Can you guess? Oh, this is this is either going to be something incredibly simple or it's going to be something really expensive. I'm going to go for something simple. I'm probably going to say it's the spike hand. Nope. No? You were close to the hand, though. It was Robocop catching the car keys that are tossed to him. Oh, yes, that's right, because he had the, the gloves are kind of rubber, aren't they? They're foam rubber. And they kept bouncing 50, off it. 50 takes. Just for him to get the one shot of him catching the car keys. Yeah. 50 takes. Uh, fantastic story. Uh, Nancy Allen, who played Lewis in the movie, uh, she said, the great story of her, she arrives on set for her very first day and is instantly mortified because when she shows up on set, they're filming the I'd buy that for a dollar scene with the guy with the two girls with the big tits. Yeah. <laughs> so I think she wanted out of that movie straight away and you know, luckily, uh, she was told otherwise. And I think it's really kind of her last really high-profile gigs was the Robocop movies, mm. which is strange because she did so well in it. She was kicking ass in those movies as oh, a probably, yeah. you know, female lead, and I can't understand why she suddenly kind of dropped off the radar. I don't know either. I mean, she she said that she didn't want to do any more and she got killed in Robocop 3. Spoilers! Um, but <laughs> Like um, the movie wasn't a spoiler enough. It's true. Um, but yeah, she did kind of disappear. But just touching on the, um, I buy that for a dollar. Um, there was a deleted scene where, which was supposed to go right at the end of the movie, where the guy who was in that comedy series was arrested. And right at the very end, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be coming out and of a of a thing, you know, as a disgraced celebrity, which um, you know, considering that seems to be happening every five minutes now. It's not exactly far from the truth, is it? Oh, yeah. It's a celebrity Deadpool for careers nowadays. All you have to do is say left instead of right. Uh, Here's a disturbing secret, Steve. Mm -hmm. Uh, The moment where um, Robocop goes into City Hall to tackle the elected official who's keeping everyone hostage. I know this one. And he switches to infrared heat vision. Yep, I know this one. All of the actors were nude because it was actually cheaper than getting a real infrared spectrometer camera. <laughs> How imagine? awkward is that, sir? Imagine turning up onto set that day. Yeah, okay, yeah, so we're going to be filming... Oh, so they're going to be filming it in infrared, are they? Oh, brilliant, I can't wait to... No, no, you might want to just... You might want to just go tackle out. And... You see, I, I, I would love to know that the guy who was playing the mayor in that scene had to get pulled up by his tie by this guy from waist level with <laughs> with this poor spam javelin like 
bopping him in the face <laughs> as he's pulling him up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, only in Hollywood. Uh, the special effects of this movie. You must know this one. How were they generated, Steve? Um, mostly by stop-motion animation. Nope. The special effects were generated with a Commodore 64 computer. I had heard that somewhere, but I, I had forgotten about it. So, yeah, you had got me on that one, yeah. Yes. And the game on the Commodore 64, I played religiously. Quick side note. Do you remember there was a an ad way back in the early 90s, late 80s, which was, um, which was for Ariston washing appliances? Yes. And on, and on, and Ariston. Yes. Yeah, do you remember that? The music that was used in that advert was the menu music from the Commodore version of Robocop. Oh my god, you're actually right. Yes. I remember that. Wow. Useless trivia provided by the guys from Bodywood that you never would have known. Ah, see, why didn't I find that instead of Double Dragon the other day? I don't know. Uh, uh, a brilliant story here. Um, Paul Verhoeven would refer to the actors by their character name. Mm-hmm. So he would call Peter Weller Robo, and I think Peter Weller had a hand in wanting to be called Robo on the set, or it'd be Lewis. Uh, the scene where Bob Morton is killed by Kurtwood Smith's character, mm-hmm. uh, Miguel Ferrer killed by uh, Kurtwood Smith, yep. uh, there was hilarity on the set because the two prostitute actresses Verhoeven would constantly refer to as bitches. <laughs> bitches leave. <laughs> so you're a bitch one and bitch two. <laughs> oh, it's it's classic. Um, something a bit bizarre about Robocop. Uh, when the home video release was being promoted, uh, Orion Pictures hired Richard Nixon. To promote the home video. Yes, I've seen them. They are so bizarre, those those little trailer uh, things that they put out. It was so, so strange. Yes. Uh, Paramount did something as well uh, in regards to, I think it was The Untouchables, and when The Godfather was being re-released. And I remember them, but I can't remember fully the content of them. But uh, Richard Nixon, yeah, he did it, obviously needing the money, but he actually donated the money to the American Boys Club. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess it's a good use of money. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the standouts from Robocop. Um, I don't think you can get through Robocop without knowing every iconic sound that that movie has. Oh, God, yeah. Like the, the schnick to the blade coming out. The, the thumping of his feet, the whirring of his servos. The, the gun. The sound of the uh, the Cobra assault cannon. Yeah. Yeah, everything. The, the, sound in, the sound effects in these movies are more iconic than any other movie I think yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. As well as the, uh, the makeup by Rob Bottin and his crew. Uh, I think they were brought on when they realised that the Judge Dredd version of... Uh, Robocop that they were creating just was not working. Well, apparently when it came to learning to do it, uh, Peter Weller had been going through all kinds of training in order to move a certain way. And then they put him in the suit and he realised that he couldn't actually move. So he had gone through like about nine weeks of performance training to get the movement right and then had to go through like about another three or four weeks 
maybe even longer, in order to get used to actually being in this really heavy outfit. Yes, yeah. very true. Um, the effects are still great to this day. Mm. They really are. I don't know if they've touched them up for the Blu-ray releases or anything, but they look great. Even the stop-motion stuff of, you know, Ed 209 falling down the stairs. Well, no, to be honest, when he's falling down the stairs, they just push the model down the stairs. They do. As we mentioned, uh, the script, it's still really biting. It's really perfect script. It really is. Um, Like we mentioned, Peter Weller and Nancy Allen, uh, they're just brilliant, but you cannot Talk about Robocop. We're just saying it. Kurtwood Smith is just absolutely delicious oh. as Clarence Boddicker. Uh He just owns that movie in the same way that Alan Rickman owned Die Hard. He's he's the focus of every single scene he's in, even when he's in ones with Robocop himself. He just steals your attention away every oh. single time. He's loving. You can tell this guy is loving yeah. this role. He he is fully giving it a hundred and ten percent. Kurtwood Smith tops the the movie psychopath mm-hmm. rate. Right um, and speaking of loving, the secretary who is his wife. Is his yes. actual wife? Yeah. So when he sticks the chewing gum on the, on her little nameplate and he's doing a bit of flirting, it's like, oh, that's your missus pretending to be uh-huh. afraid of you. Oh. <laughs> she wasn't even afraid she was just like bitch leave <laughs> okay so yes Robocop 35 years old and iconic there has never been a better Robocop movie than Robocop the first one yes uh, with the possible exception of the version that was broadcast on TV in the UK and had all <laughs> of the bad language <laughs> taken out but that's a story that's a story for another time why that has not been put as a Blu-ray extra, I do not know. Oh, I would kill to see that as a Blu-ray extra. It was the worst, the worst edited for TV effort that you could possibly hope to see. Shout Factory, get on it. Yeah, But uh, we're going to go back a bit here. 40 years, mm. uh, right when we were little nippers, uh, a movie called An Officer and a Gentleman was released. Not lift me up. That's as much as that song as I can sing without us getting copywritten strictly. Very true. Have you seen an officer and a gentleman? I haven't. Um, I like with Velma and Louise and a load of other stuff you've had out of what's in the box. I've seen the parodies, mostly from things like The Simpsons. Yes. You know, I tell the boss I'm going out to my car and I won't be back for five minutes. You know, that's yes. that thing. Okay. Well, an officer and gentleman, uh, directed by Taylor Hackford, and yes, this does go on Taylor Hackford's Mount Rushmore. I put it up there with Ray. With uh, Jamie Foxx, which is the Ray Charles biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, Dolores Claiborne, which was the uh, Stephen King adaptation, which is actually really good. And I'll put it up there with um, a three hour Latino epic that Taylor Hackford directed called Blood In, Blood Out, which is worth seeking out if you can find it. Um, Officer and a Gentleman, it was the movie before Ghost and Pretty Woman that every woman would have you watch on a romantic evening in. And uh, which is ironic, really, because Richard Gere and Deborah Winger didn't like each other mm. for the duration of the movie. And uh, Deborah Winger actually hates the movie too, uh, to this day, which is weird because it is actually her biggest hit movie she's ever done. Uh, but uh, we are, we've all heard stories on Deborah Winger on plenty of different talk shows, and that you know, I've I've not. Is she supposed to not be easy to um, get on with? Uh, Ashley McLean, that's the best way to do it. 
Okay. Uh, this is the movie where Lewis Gossett Jr., Chappie himself from Iron Eagle, in case you were wondering, Lewis Gossett Jr. won Best Supporting Actor. And what is fantastic about that is he is the first African-American in 19 years to do so. Because the previous winner was Sidney Poitier, Poitier for, in for the Lilies still... of the Field. Oh, no. For some no. reason I was going to say in the still of the night, but no. That's, yeah, that he was, was the main actor in that. Yeah. We're talking Best Supporting Actor. Ah, right. Uh, this script uh, for An Officer and a Gentleman was passed around Hollywood for nearly 10 years. Nowhere wanted to make it. And finally, Michael Eisner, who was head at Paramount at the time, due to Don Simpson's insistence, uh, basically said, okay, we'll make it, but we're only going to make it for $6 million. That was your budget, $6 million. And it was the third highest grossing movie of 1982. Which is brilliant, really, because that is all them profit. Huge amount of profit. Oh, yeah, and it made... You know, well, Richard Gere was a star anyway, but you know, it. It, I think it was the last box office hit that Richard Gere had up until Pretty Woman. So there was a good eight years where he was making movies like No Mercy with yeah. Kim Basinger, and he always just seemed to do these steamy, erotic movies for a while. I think it just became his cliche. A lot of movies were being made like thankfully, that in the early Thankfully, not 90s. Groundhog Day. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine like an erotic thriller like Body of Evidence or something like that, or, or Sliver? You know, just being I, Groundhog I love, Day. I, abso- I absolutely <laughs> love the fact that the movies that you do know about are some of the worst shit that could ever be made. Well, we didn't have the internet when I was in my teens. You know, we got you have to make do somehow. Yes. Yes, I'm going to take this copy of... Hello, uh, Mum. Sliver. <laughs> I'm going to take this copy. She's going to be listening to this as well. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, we're, we're unravelling it all tonight. Yeah, we yeah, are. Hi, I'll take that copy of Sliver. Uh, I'll take a body of evidence and uh, I'm an electric blue, volume 20. Yes. Euro trash, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, when we look at an officer and a gentleman, we can't go with an officer and a gentleman without mentioning Up Where We Belong, which was featured by Steve a couple of seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don Simpson didn't even want that song. He wanted it gone. But then again, Don Simpson also, apparently, now, now this is taken from Deborah Winger's book, so, you know, I'm just quoting here. But also, Don Simpson didn't want Deborah Winger as the lead actress because she was, in his words, unfuckable. Wow. Okay. Yes. Uh, So that's a true story. Um, uh, But yes, Officer and Gentleman is 40 years old this week. Um, I'd say track it down, but why bother? Um, You've you've seen all the parodies. It's not going to really bring anything new to you because you've got no place left to go. I know. Now, in our ironic twist, Steve, 25 years ago this week, Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery was released. <clears throat> yeah, baby! <laughs> Sorry, I had sake. to. I had to. I just had to. <laughs> that was the worst Austin Powers impression I've ever heard. I've still got a cold. Sue me. Okay. Austin Powers, 
International Man of Mystery. Here's a movie that wouldn't ever get made today. But um, directed by Jay Roach. Mm-hmm. And I think more people know Jay Roach away from directing Austin Powers. He was, well, he is um, a very successful producer. He produced Trumbo and Bombshell movies that were released over the last 10 years. He also produced the <laughs> the utterly terrible um, Jeff Bridges, Tommy Lee Jones IRA bomb movie, Blown Away. Oh, God, yes, I have seen that. And yes, oh, the yes. movie that was released on the same time as Speed. Hello, would you like to be listening to me Irish accent? Yes. Yeah. Austin Powers, unfortunately, I'm not a fan of. Now, at the time, there was mm. one or two jokes in there that I did like, and I think it's got some interesting history around it. But the interesting history is all kind of really dark. <laughs> so, for example, Joe Son. Now, Joe Son played the odd job knockoff random task. Mm-hmm. In the movie. Who the hell throws a shoe? Yes. Currently, you can see him uh, serving a lifetime sentence for the torture of a 19-year-old woman in 1990. Yeah. And uh, you can really look into the history. I don't want to get into that. I think the more depressing thing about it is the woman who was tortured actually had a copy of this film in her home and didn't realize until she watched it and then saw this guy. That's just horribly shocking to go through. Now, this movie was not a hit in the UK. Really? It was not a hit in the UK. It was a hit on home video. But this movie was annihilated by The Full Monty. Well, yeah, The the Full Monty was just owning everything that year. You couldn't move. It it was just... I think that probably stayed on the cinemas for a good, what, about five, six months or something. Well, you see, I gotta look at this, like, is it because... They didn't like the piss being taken out of the English, which a lot of Austin Powers does, and it's a, it's you know a bunch of Americans and Canadians or whoever just ripping the piss out of the English with their bad teeth and you know being totally out of tune with everything. Or could it just be the fact that it had the worst timing ever to do a Princess Diana joke? Not even a month after she died. And they left it in the movie. Yeah. Because it was the whole, we're, you know, Princess Diana is having an affair and we're going to get pictures and blackmail. And it's like, you that's, could have that's cut bad that out. Taste. You could have cut that out. Realistically, what would you have missed? Nothing. It's just a blink and you miss it. Exactly. The rule of three might have been scrambled up a little bit for just that one scene, but you'd have recovered. Yeah, yeah the rule of three. I love that. Yeah, love that. Um, one question about Austin Powers: How long do you reckon they got that free AOL three point for the product placement of AOL through this movie? Uh, I don't know. They probably just had a slightly longer trial period than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember those days. You got like about a day's worth of free internet. So you, because those discs were everywhere, you just get hold of the code. Once your free trial ran out, you cancel the account, make a new one, put a new code in. That was how you got internet back in the day. Yes. Of course, uh, I'd introduce the world to the Fembots. Mm-hmm. Who voiced the Fembots, do you know? Oh, I do not. I will tell you. It was Wendy Lee who voices Faye Valentine on Cowboy Bebop. I have not seen Cowboy Bebop. What, the anime? The anime, you've not seen it? I oh, you've missed that. I've not seen the live action really one either. Oh, uh, 
it's, it's, it's okay, but the animated one is just genius. This uh, movie has a special special rental history with me because I hired it from our local video shop, uh, watched it, didn't think much of it, but then never got round to taking it back for about two weeks. And so it was just racked up about two weeks worth of late fees. And then watched it several times over that two weeks and just thought, yeah, it's all right. I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I just never got around to taking it back for about a fortnight. I think it's just pure laziness. That is all you can class it as. Yeah, it um, a bit here. Mrs. Kensington was played by Mimi Rogers in the movie, but uh, actually cast before Mimi Rogers was a friend of mine, Brenda Bucky. Uh, so she almost actually played that role. and hmm. uh, didn't end up being, but I'm sure we can get around the show and ask why. That'd be fun. Uh, this was also Will Farrell's movie debut. Yes, um, as Mustafa. Yes, and I'm going to be honest, in full those... on brown face. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not defending the uh, racial stereotypes and and everything, but some of his jokes are actually quite funny. Just just him. Doing the ah, I'm still alive down here, and everyone's reaction. I yes. love I love those little bits. Yes, and I've got a question to leave you on. Mm-hmm. Is Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, just a stupid, almost porn parody of Captain America? The Captain America. Um, well, I know that Captain America doesn't have any Swedish penis pumps, so I'm going to say yes. How do you know? I don't know, but uh, that super serum did a good job of enlarging every other muscle in his body. So, <clears throat> all I'm saying is, look at the similarities between Austin Powers One and Captain America. <laughs> it's true, though. It's very true. Uh, so yes, uh, yeah. Twenty-five years ago, Austin Powers: International Man of Mystery. It's about as good as the other Austin Powers movies, which, in my view, is not very. They pretty much reused a lot of the same jokes. I think that was probably also why I didn't like Deadpool 2 as much, is because they were pretty much just the same jokes. I I watched that again the other day, actually. It's not not that bad. It's not bad. I I kind of enjoy it. Okay, uh, the last of our anniversaries uh, for this week. 20 years ago, The Bourne Identity was released. Okay, I haven't seen any of them. Oh, my Lord, you've missed out on... Well, if you forget the uh, Bourne... Is it the legacy? The, the one with Jeremy, Jeremy Renner? Renner uh, no. Yeah, everyone just kind of forgets that one exists as well. Born Identity is uh, it's great. I've got to admit, it's it's still great to this day. Directed by well, it's Paul actually Greengrass. the only. No, no, no. The Born Identity was directed by Doug Liman, oh. the first one, and I think he didn't come back for the Born Supremacy, and then Paul Greengrass ran with it. Uh, but this goes on Doug Liman's Mount Rushmore, along with. Uh, the Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt sci-fi movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Not seen. Uh, I will also... It's great. Um, Doug Liman's debut was a movie called Swingers. Not seen. John Favreau. (laughs) And I'm sensing a pattern here. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Swingers goes up there. And a movie called Fair Game with Sean Penn and Naomi Watts, which you'd probably see in the bloody Cindy Crawford version more than this one. But... um, no, it goes on his Mount Rushmore. It is a fantastic movie. And it's, it's the only Bourne movie of the series mm-hmm. uh, that has any relevance to the actual books. Well, I did see a little bit of the original one. 
which had there was it Richard Chamberlain in it? Yes. I saw I watched I watched like about five minutes of that when it was on TV once and realized that it was so slow and kind of very, very patiently paced and so I'm thinking, okay, that's probably gonna be pretty close to Robert Ludlum's novels. And then, obviously, I've seen clips of the movie, and he's jumping about the place, and he's having all these fist fights, and he's hitting people with books, and there's all the shaky camera work going on in the fights, which means you can't tell anything that's going on. So Yeah, yeah. The, um, the Richard Chamberlain one actually does stick closely to the source material. Uh, the Born Identity with Matt Damon. You can't uh, help yourself, can you? I can't. You can't. I really can't. It's just, uh, you must get that on the street all the time. Team it's like America's William Atherton being called dickless. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, Clive Owen uh, is in this movie as a guy who's trailing Jason Bourne, but he's only mm-hmm. really got three minutes of the movie. Okay. Which is weird because he gets like real top billing along with Matt Damon, but he's only in three minutes of the actual movie. Uh, the Bourne Identity was written by Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy went on to direct a favourite of ours, Michael Clayton. Yes. And his favourite of Bill's as well, from the Warner Brothers days. Yes, it was Bill who told me to go watch it. Yes, it was indeed. Yes. Uh, it has amazing car chases in it. It was done by the same stunt team who did Ronin's car chases, mm. so you know what you're in for yes. there. And I guess we've kind of got to discuss, seeing as though you haven't seen The Born Identity, but the kind of link to the video game 13 or X-I-I-I. Yeah, uh, it's Amnesiac, washes up on a beach, trying to get themselves together. There's mysterious forces that are coming, closing in, as he tries to unravel the mystery behind his um, his identity and what happened to the... Uh, I, think, I think the president was also assassinated. It's been so long since I played it. Um, I have also played the tie-in video game to the Bourne series, which was oh, yeah. a- which was actually quite good fun, and I know that you're getting back into your video games now. So try and hunt that down on the 360. There's... I have actually seen that. Yeah, there's no there's... Matt Damon face, but <laughs> um, it's it, that one is quite good fun. Cool. Uh, well, that was 20 years ago, unbelievably, scarily 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but that is the anniversaries. And I can't believe we managed to fill off our return to the show with our anniversary section. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's good, because we, we had no idea. We just knew we had to start doing these shows again. We are planning to get a video episode out every mm-hmm. week, or every other week, depending on when we can get the guest in. But we will be back with these type of shows every single week. Yes, because these we can get out to you. when You can, you can have this content, you can have this in your ear while you're at the gym, or driving around, or walking your dog or yes we, we fit in the background nicely it's a good job that now we delve into the low part of the show if you remember our wonderful segment what's in the box has been a place of joy <laughs> boy are you mistaken what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box What's in the box? I think we need to change what's in the box to actually what's in the bargain bin of doom. Yes. I don't <laughs> think that can scan quite well, though. No. Well, previously on what's in the box, 
we had been doing movies that were certified fresh because we always found it really interesting to see what the everyman like Steve, who doesn't know a lot of Hello. movies, was catching up with these movies that had actual critical acclaim. Mm. And it's been a very mixed bag. There's yeah. some you've loved, there's some you outright hated, there were some you were like, what was the big fuss about? Yeah, they, there's been a few which I've taken away and really, really enjoyed. Once, which I brought on numerous times, I, I absolutely adored. Um, then there was things like Casualties of War, which I thought was a brilliant film, but was very, very haunting and deeply affecting. There was Teeth, which was Teeth. Uh, and then there was the moment that I pretty much slaughtered everybody's sacred cow of 2001 A Space Odyssey by just going, what the hell was all that about? So, um, I, you, you seem to bring Teeth up a lot. Are you actually saying that Teeth was the worst film from What's in a Box you saw? No, it was definitely, I think it was probably the biggest missed opportunity. Because I'm sure that Ghostbusters was. <laughs> or did you already forget that that came out? Of the I had honestly you? forgotten that I'd watched it. <laughs> Well, the good news is you never have to do it again. But now we're taking things in the opposite direction with what's in the bargain bin, I mm-hmm. guess. What's in the bucket. Yeah. What's in the what's in the grave filled with uh, E.T. Atari games. Um, we used to pull out the hot, now we're pulling out the rot. Yes, these are the movies that are certified as rotten. You know, the, some of the lowest scores. As If they've got the green splat, then he's watching it. And I guarantee you, he's probably seen more of these. <laughs> yeah, I probably so, have, yeah. You probably have. Um, and some of them are pretty surprising. So when I was loading up the alternative, I guess we can call it the splat box. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I called it. Um, That's where you keep your tissues, is it? <laughs> yes. That is my splat box. Um, it was pretty interesting to see that a lot of these films were certified as rotten. And I thought, actually, these are pretty good. So, uh, I've pulled three out here. So, we're going to see how we get on. Uh, The first one out of the bargain bin of doom is 8mm. Oh, Nicolas Cage. Now, you see, I haven't seen it. However, I was expecting... When you pitched this whole idea to me of swapping it, I was expecting it to be things like... What was it? The the Attack of the Killer Bimbos. Or whatever it was (laughs) that you mentioned earlier. No movies are in there. I went for stuff that was 25% or under. Okay. Right, so it took a lot of work doing this, and I hope you appreciate it. uh, No, it's just I always assumed that something like A Millimeter, which I knew had a sequel, was... was, No, don't. don't, Was was kind of a bit better received? No? A Millimeter was really well received, and it was a hit, but it sits at 23%. Okay, then. On a tomato meter. So it's going to be interesting to see what you take out. I mean, obviously, you've got to come into every one of these movies ignoring all the hoopla and all of the critical plays and anything that anyone writes online and watch it as a movie and take something out of it. So it's interesting that 8mm is our first one. All right, then. So investigating a snuff film with Nicolas Cage. Go! Yes. So yes, uh, you'll be able to tune in next week to the audio version of the show. You will mm-hmm. hear um, your viewing experience of 8mm. I actually look forward to that because it is a movie that is very split because I remember Bill was telling me, you know, it's it a really good movie, but it was so dark. You know, the, the subject matter was so dark. And it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested to see what you feel about this. Okay. 
Well, we'll find out about that, uh, like you say, next week. For now, though, yeah, just keep subscribing. Uh, you'll find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Podcasts, and on just like loads and loads of places. And if you actually want to get in contact with us, meow, about anything which um, which we've talked about this week, including if you speak cat, um, then you can get in touch with us uh, through our twitter at pottywood or you can find us on facebook at pottywood and you know just get involved in the conversation because yeah we we like it when we hear from viewers about what we're talking about yeah subscribe you know we we love to have you along with us we love to hear what you have to say we love to hear if you've enjoyed the show what you'd have different uh, the, it must be raining outside because the cat has just come in the room as you heard and he's rubbing up against my leg and he is soaking well so it's, uh... don't even do that joke don't even go there what <laughs> don't even do what it. right so with that in mind um thank you for rejoining us uh we have missed putting these shows out and uh, we hope you've missed us and we hope you've enjoyed today's show and we will see you next week yes take care now bye bye <laughs>